So after a believer has been baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, what next? Uh, if you were here at the first message of the James series, oftentimes Christians have this attitude that, well, they're not perfect, they're just forgiven. These individuals that were baptized are far more than just forgiven. Yes, they are pardoned, but they've also been grafted into the body of Christ and the Holy Spirit indwells them and wants to bring about bring about tr- a transformative life in life in, 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 as they walk with Jesus. And one of the ways in which we are transformed is by the renewing of our minds. In a few weeks from now, actually beginning on Labor Day, we're going to start a new series in First Peter when we finish James, uh, a new series in First Peter, and want to encourage you to, to participate in that in a way that we have not asked you to do so before. So you have your, um, uh, your Grace Insider, if you, you receive that, you're going to see on the very last page on the outside jacket there, uh, um, Where Is Your Hope? That's the sermon series. There's going to be a companion Bible study that's going to go right along with First Peter that you can go along with as an individual and also as a community group. Now, it's imperative that you do this uh, a few weeks before the sermon. A few weeks before the sermon. We want to help each one of you. This is a tool we're going to provide for each one of you so that you can begin to self-feed, so that you can begin to mind the Word of God, that the Word, the Holy Spirit can speak to you personally and as a small group, if you're in a small group, so that you, uh, you can grow in Christ. And then the sermon that you will hear a few weeks later, that's icing on the cake. That's icing on the cake. So this is a tool that's going to be provided for you. Hope that you will take advantage of that. Would you please stand as we prepare for the reading of God's word. Father, we thank you for the word of God, that it is sharper than a double-edged sword, that, uh, Father, it is able to... uh, to sanctify us, to renew our minds. And we, thank, we are thankful for these three baptisms that we, that we saw, their testimonies. Thank you, Jesus, that you have given your life for them. You've given your life for us. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you indwell us, that you empower us, and we thank you, Spirit, that you have given us the word. Do the work in us that you desire to do this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Today's reading is from James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. My name is Josh Havman. I am the same guy who was in the tank a second ago. I actually had this on under the shorts. You just couldn't see it. So glad that you're with us this morning. We are continuing in our series in James called Faith Works. 
And up until this point, we have said a number of times that this is an opportunity for us to make sure that our faith is working itself out in a way that people can see, that there is some evidence of what we believe in our lives. And that is correct, and I don't want to in any way go back on that. But it is also true that when we say faith works, that our faith ought to work, we are saying that there ought to be some practical, obvious benefit to us in our lives that we see our faith working itself out and that other people also benefit from our faith. And so faith works is not just about a testimony. Testimony is good. Our actions and our words should line up. That's important. But it's also about God doing his redemptive work in and through us on a daily basis. And so faith works is also very simple, very straightforward things like be patient. Nobody really likes to hear those words, be patient, especially when you're impatient, right? That is the worst thing you could ever tell anyone. Any, any early husbands make this mistake with their wives? Just be patient, dear. It'll be fine. I made that mistake for about four or five years. We're still married. It's hard. Patience is hard. We all struggle with patience. I include myself because I have struggled with patience significantly. When I was a young man, uh, especially when I was in uh, junior high, I was very impatient. I was very uh, tempestuous. I had this temper. I would get angry all the time. My last name is Havman, right? But my uh, classmates would call me Spazman because they knew how to push my buttons and they knew that they could get me riled up and they knew that I was impatient. And God has been working on me for the last 40 plus years, helping me to be patient. And we all likewise together have this issue. And I know that we have this issue because you can just open your eyes and look at the world around us to see how we're constantly trying to push things faster and to make things happen quicker and to not have to wait for anything. How many of you remember a time when the best way to get a hold of a person was to call a phone that was attached to a physical building? Anybody remember that? And you knew that if you called them, they may not be there and you might have to call again another day perhaps. And it could be whole days before you heard back from them and the world existed. It just kept going on. And then email came along and you could possibly get a response in email faster than you could get a phone call. But then we were never content to just do one or the other. So we would call and then they wouldn't answer. And then we would email them. I I think you missed my call, right? And then we got smartphones and now we have messaging apps. And some of us have multiple messaging apps. And some of you have to set your phones to silent when you come in here, because if you didn't, it would just go bing, 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 all service long, right? We're very impatient people. We're constantly, constantly trying to avoid waiting. And yet, James says, be patient. And he says it before any of this has happened. So he knows that there is something about the human heart. He understands that there is something about the human condition that we don't want to wait. We don't want to be patient. He has to tell us because we don't want to be patient. And he says it in the way that is the most frustrating and the most infuriating. He actually just says, be patient. But before he says, be patient, remember in James chapter four, verse 10, he says, humble yourself. And remember that in James 14, uh, 417, he says, submit to the will of the father. And remember those things because when he says, be patient, 
here in James 5, 7, he also says, therefore. There's a pastor friend of mine. um, He's still preaching in Missouri, and he often says, if you see a therefore, you have to ask what it's therefore, right? Brooks has said something similar. Why do we ask that? Because the writer is referring back to something that he's already said. So what has James already said? All of the first four chapters, right? By chapter five, you could look at all of the first four chapters, and that's legitimate. But if we look specifically back at the the words that came just before this, we see him saying, humble yourself, submit to his will, Be patient, therefore, brothers, having humbled yourself, having submitted yourself to God's will, until the coming of the Lord. Not until tomorrow, not until a week from now, but until Christ returns. That's probably a longer timetable than most of us are willing to be patient. Right? Patience for us is measured in minutes, if at all. And here James is saying, then, thousands of years ago, be patient until the coming of the Lord. But when he says that, again, he has this in mind, that we would humble ourselves and that we would submit to the will of the Father and that we would have in mind what Christ has in mind because Christ has a plan for us. Jesus, when he left his disciples, he said, I am going to prepare a place for you. If you're going to follow me, if you're going to be my disciple, here's the plan. The plan is that I am leaving you to go be with the Father and I'm going to prepare a place for you, a new heaven and a new earth that is better than anything that you could possibly imagine and you're going to come and live with me eternally. So that's what we're supposed to be patient for. It's not just waiting. It's waiting in hope and with hope of eternal salvation. It's waiting for something better than we could ever produce for ourselves. It's not just waiting to look good Right? Because there is a sort of patience that goes along with pride and you just sit there and you let everything come at you and you're like, look how patient I am. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about waiting for the day of the Lord in hopeful expectation that God will do what he says he will do. So if we believe, if we believe that Jesus has done that, that he's gone to prepare a place for us, then we have to understand that impatience is a temptation to stop waiting for the Lord. And I do mean that in the very granular, very minute-by-minute, day-to-day stuff, right? When you are getting annoyed with people, when you are getting frustrated with events, ultimately you have decided that those events are more important to you than God's plan. You've put your hope and faith in something besides Jesus. And so this is what we're looking at today, is a temptation to stop waiting on the Lord. His call to us to be patient, it's a reminder that we're living and working on his timetable and not ours. He has eternity in mind. We have this afternoon in mind. So this is what we're talking about today. And when he tells us how to be patient, it's going to look three ways. One, he's going to say, I want you to be patient in the world. There is a moment by moment, very real, very dirty, because he's going to use a farming analogy, uh, you know, hands in the earth kind of way that we wait for the Lord. That's a how. Another how is with one another. God designed the body of Christ to work with each other and to support one another and to love one another. So he's given us this also. And then also, in addition to just each other here in this room or in our day in life, he has also given us the entire body of believers, a whole cloud of witnesses, Hebrews says. Um, But specifically in James, he's going to mention the prophets and he's going to mention Job. So we've got all of these witnesses. This is all how. 
Before we go, uh, before I pray and before we really launch into these different pieces of this text, I do want to address why. Why be patient? Isn't patience just kind of annoying? Right? Isn't that just a frustration? Why would we be patient? I, I understand. I'm going to look at the fruit of the Spirit. Patience is listed there. And we've got love. Yep, I see the value in that one. Joy, got it. Uh, peace, absolutely would love to have some peace. But patience? That's just kind of a pain, right? Why? Why patience? Here's how. Why? Well, we will get to that, but understand that God always, Jesus always, is showing us himself what he wants us to do. And Jesus wants us to be saved. So that's the why for patience, and hang on to that. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this word that you gave to James, uh, your brother and your son, your disciple. Help us to understand, Lord, how we can apply this to our lives today. Many times, Holy Spirit, uh, we have called on you already this morning in baptism um, and Brooks in invoking this desire to know you better through your word. I pray also now, Holy Spirit, that you would be here speaking through me, that the people here would hear what you would have them say. Uh, what, what you would hear from me what they, would, um, what they need to hear from you. I ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. Here's the first two verses of this section. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also, be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So again, that therefore is referring back to the things that James has already said. And he says, in effect, since you're humble and you've submitted to God's will, be patient like the farmer until the coming of the Lord. There aren't many professions that haven't changed in 2,000 years, but farming has not changed as much in 2,000 years. And yeah, you can say, yeah, but it's mechanized now, right? And there's guys out there in their combines, and their combines are hooked to the internet, and the combines are being steered by GPS. Sure, agreed, right? The way we do it is different. But the corn doesn't really grow that much faster, and it still requires the sun and the rain. And so this example that James gives us of waiting like the farmers do for the fruit of the earth, this is a great example for us because we can't make it go faster. This is the first thing I want you to understand about being patient. You can't make anything go faster. Jesus puts it this way. Who of you by worrying can add a day, an hour even to his life? Nobody. So stop trying to. Look at the farmer. The farmer has to wait. The farmer in Israel has a early and a late rain. They have a rain around the time of planting and the rainy season, and then they have rains that come at the time of harvest. Okay, And he says, that's the way it is. We can't really change that. We are stuck with that. And so we should appreciate that that's the way things are, and we should live in accordance with that truth. So can any of you move the world faster around just by wanting it to go faster around? No, we are like that child. How many of you have seen this child? When their parent is talking to another adult and they're just doing laps, right, on the ground. They're just running in circles, right? They're banging on mom or dad's leg and they're just frantic because they want things to move faster and they affect zero outcome, right? That's us. That is us. And James says, look at the farmers. What are they doing? They're waiting with hope. Farmers aren't doing nothing between planting and harvest. There are all kinds of things for them to do. And yet also, 
they are waiting. They're waiting for harvest. They're waiting in hope of something that is coming at the end, just like you all are supposed to wait for the hope of salvation, for the hope of a new heavens and a new earth. So this is the example that he gives us, the first how. Do it day by day, minute by minute. If you are a farmer, if you think of yourself that way today, think about the things that you have done, the work that you have done, that is like putting seeds in the ground, and you've got to wait for months until you can reap the harvest. What are you going to do? You're not going to do nothing between here and there, but... Everything that you do, whether it's weeding, it's keeping pests away, right? Um, It's keeping animals out of the field, whatever it is, whatever you do, it's all in hope and expectation of what God is going to bring at the end. And so he says, think that way, behave that way. This is the first how to be patient. So when you feel stressed, when you feel like the world is demanding that you go faster, remind yourself whose timetable you're on and should be on. First how. How do we do that? Here's what James suggests, the planting, uh, the, the example of the farmers. But then back in Ecclesiastes, we have a different sort of uh, example or iteration of this. Let me include this also. Ecclesiastes 3.9, what gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He's made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. And I perceive there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all of his toil because this is God's gift to man. So the first how is to wait like the farmer. And maybe that doesn't make sense to you because you've never farmed. But here is a pulling apart of that, whether it's Solomon or just a teacher. We don't know for sure who wrote Ecclesiastes. But we do know that it's around the time of Solomon that this wisdom literature is written down. Here's what that looks like. We're still using some of the same ideas, some of the same language of working day to day. But understand that the gift from God is that work. So he didn't give us nothing to do while we wait. He's given us lots to do. And what he has given us to do is ultimately for our benefit. And we take pleasure in the eating and the drinking and the work because it's from God. So this is part of God's plan. We can't understand it. We know it's there. The Bible says that God has put eternity into our hearts. We have this sense, this longing that there's something bigger than ourselves. Um, I think it was Mark who said he looked at the universe and he just couldn't accept that it was nothing but the random acts right, of molecules bumping into each other that created the complexity of life. We have that sense in us. Ecclesiastes is pointing to that, and it's saying, you're right. You can't quite figure it out, but know this, that God has given you every day. He's given you every day to live and to work and to eat and to drink and to find joy in that, but always, always, always knowing that he is making everything beautiful in its time knowing that he has planned for us this end, this eternal salvation. So the question of how long does come up though, right? How long do we do this day in and day out? How long do we wait in this way, trusting that the good work I did today is good for today and good for tomorrow? Well, here's what Peter has to say about this. He says, don't overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. 
That's a hard verse, right? That's like the equivalent of a parent saying, I told you so. Why should you do this thing? Well, I told you to do it. Why should you wait this long? Because God says to. Because he lasts forever. But Peter does not end there. He says, listen, time is different for God, but here's what God is up to. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Hear that, that God is patient toward you. When you ask yourself, how long do I need to be patient, Lord? How long, day in and day out, should I just be taking pleasure in the work that you've given me to do, in the food and drink that I have? How long should that satisfy me? Well, know what God is up to. God is up to this desire that none should perish. He is being patient toward us. Remember I said there is a why question here. Why should we be patient? We should be patient because God is patient with us. He doesn't want any to perish. Now, the day of the Lord will come like a thief, Peter says, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, the heavenly bodies will be burned up, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. We need to know that. Jesus will come like a thief in the night, but he's told us that, and he doesn't want any to perish. And so this time, right now, here, as long as it is called today, we have the opportunity to be patient with each other and to help other people see that Jesus is who he says he is. So we can patiently live in this world until the next world is ready. That's the how long. And here's another how. James 5, 9. Don't grumble against one another, brothers. And that's the, the Greek word adelphi, so it's brothers and sisters. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be judged. But behold, the judge is standing at the door. God is listening, right? God is here. God is ready. He is waiting. Jesus says, only the the Father in heaven knows the day and the hour, but I am ready and waiting to return when he says to come back. And it does not say here in James 5, 9, be active in loving one another, but he does say, don't grumble against one another so that you may not be judged. So if grumbling is the wrong thing, if we should not be grumbling against one another, what do you suppose we should be doing? If impatience leads us to grumble, if impatience leads us to be bitter with one another and angry with one another, and again, we're talking about the body of Christ here. Don't even, don't even put out of your mind for a second people who are not believers, okay? Because the Bible in this specific instance is talking to believers. As you interact with one another, what happens when you grumble with each other versus when you're kind to one another? What happens when you're loving toward each other versus when you can't stand to wait for the other person to complete their sentence so you can walk away from them? He says, don't grumble against one another because this is another way in which we can practice patience by being loving toward each other. So this is God's plan for us, right? Not that we would battle against one another, but that we would battle against the spiritual forces that are tempting us to hate each other and to destroy each other. If you read in Ephesians 6, um, you'll see that there is this passage about how we are in a spiritual battle, how we are at war with spiritual forces, and that there is spiritual armor that we can put on. Here's something that isn't often talked about in that passage. You are not the only soldier. God gave us all of each other to be at war against the enemy together with him as our king. So when we grumble with each other and against one another, whether it is our spouse 
or our children or just our fellow brother and sister here in the body, when we grumble against each other, it's like friendly fire. It's like we're shooting our own soldiers. And so he says, stop that. Don't grumble against each other. Not only, not only is it going to make you ineffective in this battle, right? But it's going to destroy your witness too. You will be judged for this. People will look outside of the church. They will look at you and they will say, I thought you said that you loved one another. That's how the disciples were supposed to be known, by their love for each other. And here you are grumbling with each other. You're annoyed with each other over little things. They sat too close to me in church. They took forever to get out of their parking spot. That person waits at the coffee station all morning long. I can't get my coffee and get into service on time. What is their deal? Those are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Why are you grumbling with each other? So this is another how. How do we be patient? Be patient like the farmer. Know that you're not on your timetable, but you're on God's timetable. Be patient with each other. Since you are humble, and since you've been made, uh, you've made God's treasure your treasure, right? You've allowed his will to be your will. Then use that treasure wisely. What does God treasure? He treasures us. Remember, it said in Second Peter that God doesn't want any, any to be lost. And so he is waiting patiently for us to be his servants, to be his ambassadors, to be the workers in the fields of harvest so that more would be saved. And so we should value the same things he values. And this is always the response, right? But people are difficult and my circumstances are terrible. If you knew the people that I have to work with, right? You have all said something like this in your line of work. Yeah, my job is great, except for the people, right? If I didn't have to do it with the people, I'd love my job. It's really scary when human resource people say that. You, you feel this way sometimes, right? But God has designed us to work together. And trust me, trust me, your circumstances aren't as bad as you think. And the people aren't as bad as you think. Most of you have not, not had lives like the prophets and like Job. James goes on in his how message. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. You've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. The Lord is patiently, compassionately waiting for more to be saved. So he's saying, remain steadfast in your patience. The prophets were obedient. Job learned obedience. Be like them. When you feel like people are terrible and circumstances are terrible, turn to the word of God. Look at the prophets who were literally stoned, who were literally cut in two. Look at the prophets who knew that their message would not come to complete fruition, sometimes for hundreds or thousands of years, and yet they spoke in hope. They were willing to be on God's timetable, just like James is calling us to be on God's timetable. Look at Job, whose great friends came and sat around him and told him he must be a sinner because of the destruction that had been wrought in his life. Right? You think the people in your life are terrible? Imagine, imagine that you've lost all of your property and all of your children and you're sitting in ashes and you're using a piece of clay pottery to scrape at boils on your skin and your friend comes over and says, wow, looks like you sinned. And then another friend does the same thing and then another friend does the same thing and they argue with you and insist that that must be what happened. God eventually vindicates Job and says, no, he didn't sin, right? But Job had to learn 
obedience. And so James says, look at Job. He patiently waited. He had to learn obedience, but he patiently waited. Be like Job. Be like the prophets. Be like the men and women that you have seen in your life that have been changed by their patience. I told you a couple months ago um, that my 39-year-old sister was diagnosed with breast cancer. Uh, I got to see her this last week, and she is now a 40-year-old who has gone through breast cancer, still waiting on a double mastectomy, probably a hysterectomy. And she told me this week that she would not change this last year. Said, would she take away the cancer if she could? Absolutely. But the work that God has done in her life and in the lives of the people that she's interacted with, she would not change. She knows that it is a good gift from God. She is like one of the prophets. She is like Job. She is an example to me, at least, of what it means to be patient. James wraps up here, and it's kind of a hard tie-in, so I'm going to do my best because we're not quite sure why this verse is here. Commentators aren't quite sure if 5.12 really belongs to what comes before or what comes after, but here's what I think is going on. James says, but above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Understand first and foremost that James is not talking about foul language. Okay, when he says don't swear here, this specific verse is not talking about using words that we would consider curse words or swear words. Okay, what he is talking about is making an oath or a vow. And for sure, Jesus' disciples would have had two rash or impatient vows in mind when James said this. For sure, they would have had uh, Jephthah's vow in Judges 11 and Peter's vow to Jesus at the Last Supper. In Judges, Jephthah is a judge that has been called by God to judge the nation of Israel, and he makes this vow to God. He says, God, listen, if you help me to win this battle, whatever thing walks out of my my house when I return home from battle, I'm going to sacrifice it to you. And it wasn't that strange of a vow in the context, right? The people at that time lived with their animals. The animals would actually live inside the same dwelling because they would do it for warmth. So it wasn't that odd that he would think that something would come out that he would sacrifice. But it's his only child. It's his daughter that comes out of the house first. God takes no pleasure in that vow or in Jephthah fulfilling that vow, right? He does that rashly. And Peter... Peter says at the Last Supper, Lord, I'm going to go to the death for you. And Jesus says, no, you're not. You're going to deny me. It's going to happen tonight. Peter's like, never. And then he does. And so I think what James is saying here at the end of this section about patience is that it is not wise, it is not good to try and bolster your patience with rash and impertinent and impatient vows and promises. So in other words, New Year's resolutions, right? Don't come out of this service and go, I'm going to be more patient. From now on, Lord, you can strike me down if I'm not patient. Don't do that. We'd like you all to come back next week. Instead, he says, just do it. Just practice patience in the way that I have shown you. Be humble, submit 
your will to God's. Let him exalt you at the right time, but just trust him. Be willing to work on his timetable, like the farmers. Be willing to work with one another. Be willing to pay attention to the cloud of witnesses that is around you. So do this, find joy in him. And here's relevant questions, right? What if I'm sick? What if I'm a sinner? What if I'm afraid of everything that might happen if I follow God's will? If I'm patient or if I pray, Lord, help me be patient, I know what happens, right? You give me opportunities to be patient. I don't want opportunities to be patient. That sounds hard, right? That sounds like work. I don't want that. So what do we do? Well, I've mentioned it a couple of times. Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, this is the author of Hebrews speaking, and he is talking about here in in chapter 12, he's talking about this, what we call the hall of faith, all of these people going stretching back to the beginning of time who have been patient in their own lives, in their own ways. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, every sickness, every sin, everything that clings so closely and instead run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Who is the joy that was set before Jesus when he endured the cross? Not what, who? All of you. God is patiently waiting His kindness is supposed to lead us to repentance, Romans says. He is patiently waiting so that more would be saved. You are the joy that was set before him when he endured the cross, despising the shame, and now is able to sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. So that's how Jesus was patient. You think think there's anybody in the world who had more reason to be impatient? Jesus had the power of God at his hand. We saw it displayed in his life. In the stories told about Jesus, we see him healing sick people. We see him multiplying food. We see him doing just crazy things like walking on the water and raising the dead. Jesus has the power of God at his disposal and he waits and is patient to allow himself to be sacrificed for our sake. So this is the patience that we ought to bring to these real issues. When we are sick and when we are sinners and we're afraid of what will happen, we have to trust that Jesus, who has already gone before and already done this ahead of us, knows that we can do it, that he can give us a strength. So be patient, James says. In the world, trust in God daily, every single day, trust in God for the sun, for the rain, in plenty and in want. Be content to live on his timetable. I don't like this weather. Not a big fan right? I'm like Scandinavian blood. It should be like 30 degrees, right? For me to be comfortable, for me not to be sweating. I have like three weeks a year where I don't sweat. It's beautiful. I don't like this weather, but I need to be patient because this is the day, this today is the day the Lord has made, right? And it's his, it's not mine. It's his day. It's for his glory. So I don't have to like the weather. It's really not my job to like the weather. It's my job to trust him. Daily, every single day, no matter what's going on. And with all of you, and you all with each other, trusting in God corporately, the body of Christ, given to us as a help. Don't grumble against each other because you are here for one another. Your battle is not against flesh and blood. Your battle against, is against the spiritual forces at work in this world. And God wants to use you in that battle. 
So work with one another. And then finally, trust in God faithfully. Wait on the Father just as the prophets did, just as Jesus does. This is how Jesus endures the cross, knowing that we can be saved. So whether you are sick, whether you are a sinner, whether you are afraid of what God is going to give you if you ask him to teach you how to be patient, whatever it is, know that Jesus went through it before you. And trust him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that all we have to do is trust you to believe that you are who you say you are, that you've done what you say you've done, and that we can have eternal life with you. Lord, this is the hope that you put in front of us. Help us to hold on to that when we are so tempted to be impatient. Lord, there are so many things that tempt us to be impatient in this world and with each other and to reject what we know to be true about you and about your servants. I pray, Lord, that we would not reject any of those things any further but we would embrace the truth that you have told us about yourself, Lord, that you endured the cross so that we might spend eternity with you. We praise you, Lord Jesus, for this gift of eternal salvation. Help us to hold on to it in our hearts today and live as if it's true. I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Have a good week. Go in grace.